watching you across the Happy Sunday! I thought I would do some jammy music today. <laughs> and he picked this out, honestly. He picks out the music every week. I didn't know any, I didn't even know what it was gonna sound like until it started. I'm like, hey, this is kind of a bop, you know. <laughs> so, anyways, we are gonna be talking about the government. I know that's like our favorite subject in the whole entire world and what they plan on doing to make things a little bit more affordable. We're going to read this document together. And in the comments section, I want to get your opinion as we go through, you know, section by section, what you think. And if you think this is even like worth the money, <laughs> worth the money. <laughs> so, you know, you know how it is. <laughs> so I hope everybody's having a great weekend. I have, you know, I'm not into football, but I found out that LSU like won by a landslide last week or this week, this, this past Saturday, my daughter and I had a little staycation and she was like, Oh mom, look LSU. Uh, she was like, LSU's up like 40 points. I'm like, does that mean they're winning? And she's like, yeah, <laughs> like, okay go sports. <laughs> so I hope you guys are enjoying football season now that it's starting with the colleges and we're going to get right in. There is no guest today. We're going to get right into the article. Matter of fact, this was brought to us by a very special person. Eddie Smallhorn was the one who wanted to talk about this. <laughs> so <laughs> thanks Eddie for bringing this up to our attention and the, uh, the people in the his attention in the comment section is going to be really fun once this comes up on the screen because I'm interested in what they have to say. Let's see if I have to use the glasses today because, you know, my over 50 eyes, they, they're not seeing like they used to, man. They're getting worse every day. It's actually kind of scary. Oh, wow, Eddie, that is so small. Okay. All right, here we go. Oh, I got the string in the way. My God. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. All right. Today, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development announced the available $256 million in their Choice Neighborhood Implements Grants Fund to communities across the country. Hey, Eddie, you know what? I bet that's even hard for other people to read. Can you, can you make it bigger somehow? Let's see if we can do it like this. Oh, here we go. This works better. Um, public housing authorities, local governments, and tribal entities are eligible and encouraged to apply for these transformative grants up to uh, $50 million each. So each area would get $50 million. The Choice Neighborhood Implement Grants are powerful tool to communities to communities can use to revitalize their neighborhoods, bringing much needed housing and services amenities to distressed areas. Whoa, hey, Eddie, where are you going? Where are you going? Okay. <laughs> um, today, uh, Secretary Fudge said, today we are pleased to invite public housing authorities, local governments, and tribal entities to join the program. Successes we've seen across the country, these $50 million uh, awards are once in a generation investment in housing and neighborhoods and people need it and people need it most. The uh, the plan, HUD's signature plan, is increased appropriations to renew the national interest in fueling the program's expansion to, uh, to distressed communities across America. While cities such as Los Angeles, Philadelphia, Phoenix are grant recipients, mid-sized and smaller cities such as Flint, Michigan, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, have also received the awards. This funding cycle will lead to six choice neighborhoods grants 
and primarily funds the redevelopment of severely stressed HUD properties in mixed income communities. So apparently it's only going to be for areas that are not doing so hot as far as housing is concerned. The program has a three-pronged housing people in neighborhood approach. I love how they word all this. <laughs> that includes not only the redevelopment of distre distressed properties, but also supports outcomes related to residents' health, education, income, and simultaneously investing in economic development and neighborhood improvement projects. This comprehensive approach means that grantees must be able to leverage the funds they receive from HUD with other public and private resources. If it's going to if it's actually going to cover all of these things, health, community, education, I mean, how are they going to verify that that's what the funds are going to be used for? I mean, they could put this in any program. I'm going to, I digress. Here we go. The announcement follows HUD's recent $370 million of eight new choice neighborhood implements grants representing most of the cities of Atlanta, Birmingham, Lake Charles, Louisiana, Miami, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Tucson, Arizona, William and Wilmington, Delaware, demonstrating the impact of choice neighborhoods investments locally. These eight recent awards have been collectively invested 3 billion in distressed neighborhoods and creating over 5,000 new housing units. So 3 billion dollars created 5,000 houses. Okay. Choice neighborhoods is critically, is, is a critical tool to preserve and expand the supply of affordable housing. I don't even see how this is going to work, but okay. Since the program's inception, the choice neighborhoods program has completed about 13,000 homes of mixed use uh, mixed income units across 52 cities. More than 37,000 units are planned. HUD awarded $1.7 billion in implements grants funds to date, with the uh, grantees achieving incredible results. For example, Memphis, Tennessee is usually is using the grant to build 712 new mixed income housing units in South City neighborhood while also repairing, making repairs of surrounding homes and businesses. Similarly, Louisville, Kentucky is using the grant to build 620 new mixed, uh, mixed income units. As a result, Louisville's Russell neighborhood has seen new retail and quality childcare services come to the community. Norwalk, Norwalk uh, Connecticut, which was devastated by the Superstorm Sandy in 2012, used the Choice Neighborhoods Implements Grant to develop 273 units and completed a major cleanup adjacent to the Brown, Brownsfield site cover uh, that was covered in into a beautiful neighborhood park. Overall, the Choice <laughs> Neighborhoods Program has led to new businesses, parks, grocery stores, while residents incomes increased across the most cities, in some cases doubling in the recent study done by Case Western Re Reserve University in Chicago. Cho uh, choice neighborhoods showed that the U.S. HUD's 
uh, investment generated 400 million in public and private resources. In addition, the study found that median incomes increased and crime rates fell because of the steady uh, ownership had increased. All right, so here it is. Splaining glasses. Yeah, I got my splaining glasses on. I know, and they make me look, I mean, they make me look ridiculous. I know, but it's the only way I can see now. I, I'm so devastated about this. Is this is a new development in the last year? I didn't wear these until a year ago. <laughs> so okay, so the the government saying that some of the major towns that have dilapidated areas that have um, mixed income areas that have been not doing well, you could apply for this grant, which is fifty million dollars. Their claim is their claim is that if you invest it the way that they're telling you to. You uh, fix up your area, clean it up, start making it look better and create more multi-income units in the area. It will also create higher uh, incomes for the people, lower crime. Do you think that a 50 million grant for your specific area to do this would create higher incomes and lower crime in your area? I, I want to know. I want to know. You know, like, I don't know if you've seen recently, but there's large areas in some of the smallest cities that have a massive increase of uh, houselessness or homelessness, however you want to word it. And I don't know if 50, I know it seems like a lot, $50 million will be enough to help clean that up. There's some areas that have so like 273 units would not cover the amount of homelessness that they have in that area. Um, or they, I don't know if they're just talking about areas that already exist or they, because they say they're going to build new ones. I want to, I want to know your opinion in the comments section below. We don't have to just talk about this either. You know, it's just me today. So if you have any questions um, about real estate or anything you want to talk about, just put it in the comment section below, but make sure you put the word question first. So the uh, moderator, who is Eddie Smallhorn, my husband, can put it up on the screen. <laughs> so, yeah, um, let me, I'm going to go ahead and pull this up. Okay, Eddie said, oh, Fish and Chimps. That is a cool screen name. Fish and Chimps. <laughs> that is awesome. It, it, the people that are listening, he spelled it, uh, the fish part with P-H-I-S-H and then chimps. <laughs> That's so cute. All right. Can't wait to move to, um, can't wait to move to a company town. Oh, we won't own anything and everything will be provided for us. Yeah. As long as you don't lose your job. And I talked about this last week. All right. So there is proposed construction by a lot of the big names when you think of industry, right? So Elon Musk has been talking about it. Google has been talking about it. Amazon has been talking about it. Um, I don't, I'm trying to think of who else. There was somebody else that was talking about it, that they thought they had plans to take some real estate that they had, they owned, that was owned by their company that was just vacant land and churning it into housing units. When the news first broke, they were like saying, oh yeah, we're going to make these rental units and they'll be, uh, under market value for the area so people could easily get to work and it would save the money. It'd be environmentally friendly. They were really packaging this to sound like really awesome. 
but people that have ever opened a history book or have had grandparents or you know parents back in the day they're like oh the company towns that's an awful idea and they were like oh no 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 they're not company towns we're not we're not going to do that i mean they, they can stay there um yeah 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 we, we were not we're not going to do that and then uh, when elon musk came out with this idea you know he's going to build these houses he originally said they were going to be for sale and that he was going to have them for people that they you know they could live there and it would be for sale but now he's saying they're for rent so i don't know history has a tendency to repeat itself a bunch of us that are a little bit older or have read a book in the last, you know, 30 years realize that company towns aren't necessarily the best thing to help Americans. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. 600,000 per home. Yeah. Like, right. That's what I'm saying. But they were saying there were other programs there. It isn't just for the house itself. It would be for cleaning up the area, you know, getting, you know, parks like back up and, um, you know, I don't know what the education and healthcare, I don't know what they were talking about there. How are they going to, how are they going to justify that? Like, were they going to put a clinic there or something? I don't, I don't know. I don't make these rules. I want to know. I want to know where the money's going. That's the, the whole thing sounds really great. I'd love for a town to get some money from the government to revitalize an area, but it always seems to me. And anytime you ever look at the spreadsheets, when it comes to stuff, it's like, you know, whenever we pay for like a bullet for any kind of war, you know, like why was this bullet $10,000 per bullet? You know, like why did it cost this much? And I have a feeling that when you have these $50 million grants, you know, and they decided they were going to put pillows in all these little houses, how come every single pillow cost over $150? That in my brain, that's what I'm thinking. You know, somebody has to justify, uh, spending the money and it doesn't really necessarily go to the right right things is a housing unit a single family home no so a housing unit is anything that uh is considered like it could be like a condo which is really like a glorified apartment it could actually even be an apartment it can be a townhome it can be um condos uh townhomes multifamily units it can be anything like that. It doesn't necessarily have to be a single family home. And a lot of cases when you're talking about like New York City and some of these bigger cities, they are apartment buildings. They are. So hi, Christina, Eddie. Oops. Eddie took that off before I got to read it. He <laughs> says, hi, Christina, Eddie and housing and real estate fans. Hello, DB Douglas. Hello there. Another, <laughs> another government boondoggle. Yeah. You know, the thing is, is that, and it doesn't, I don't even give a flying flip who's in office. Honest to God. They always have these grants, these uh, initiatives, these affordable housing. This has been going on. I've been in real estate now 16 years, and this has been going on for the last 20 that I know of because that's when I've been following real estate. They all have these grand ideas. Lots of papers go out, lots of shaking hands, lots of like fundraisers, all these things that that they say they're going to do and then it never comes to fruition or they, they use a very small portion of it. Um, and then they always can claim that they couldn't use all the money because of red tape. Um, I, in a lot of cases, I feel like they don't even want to solve the problem. So 3 billion for 5,000 new housing units. That's what I'm like. That doesn't even, the math ain't mathing on that. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I will say this. The last housing secretary had no business in there either. I don't know about this person uh, too much. She's been on all the talk shows recently. I, I actually have a news clip from CNN where she was on there talking about some of the things that they were doing. And I, I don't know how, and you guys can correct me, but some of the things that they say in this is like, we're going to eliminate some of the red tape. How is money going to eliminate the red tape? How does the money eliminate red tape? Isn't it just a quick, you know, like, we're going to go ahead and take this thing out of the process of developing land? Isn't that just a quick little, like, you know, like a vote, you know, or they, they take that step out of the process of why do they need money to take that step out? Someone explain that to me. I don't know. Yeah, red tape is local. How how is it that how is the federal government going to eliminate red tape in a local area? And how is money going to make that happen? The only thing I can think of in my brain is the local governments count on that red tape money in order to pay for roads or taxes or something like that. And the money pays for the loss that they would have because they removed that red tape. Is that, does that seem logical? Yeah, I don't know. Crow Homestead says, you can peep through a, the portholes of an International Space Center with those glasses. I know, I know. These ones are a little too strong. I'll be honest with you. They're a little, little too strong. <laughs> I'm like, when I wear these, I'm always like, hello, everybody. How are you? <laughs> like, <laughs> like Revenge of the Nerds, you know? One of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> ha ha, splaining glasses. Yep. Fish and Chimps has another one. It says, remember those, uh, all those beautiful apartment blocks they built in New York City in the 70s and 80s? Oh yeah, this money won't be wasted at all. But maybe there were learning lessons to be from that, right? Because our they they did the same thing in Atlanta, Georgia around the same time, late 80s, early 90s. And they were designed pretty much the same way. At that time, I was uh, helping uh, with my local high school deliver food and, and talk to the people that lived in that area, delivering flyers and everything. And those houses were literally made like cinder blocks. I mean, talk about something that made you never feel like home. Even the countertops, like the counters themselves, like the walls for the counters were made of cinder blocks. The whole thing was made of cinder blocks. And the windows were like this thin. I'm like, this is, this feels like a prison. Like those homes, homes, I use low, lo very loosely. So hopefully they'll make, if they're going to make these, I hope they don't make them look like they did with the housing projects in, in the uh, New York and the ones in Atlanta. Cause those were freaking horrible, 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 horrible. I, I, there's no way I could live in it. No way. I've heard of programs like this, Juicy Fruit says. They really do help revitalize neighborhoods. Oh, well, good. I'm glad that I'm glad that somebody knows of that. Thank you, Juicy Fruit. I appreciate that. I mean, of course, anytime that you spill money into an area, that it can't hurt it. I just I'm always concerned of where money goes. Cause when it comes to people getting involved and money being allocated, it always seems that somebody gets a greasier palm than others, you know? So as long, I think 
when you have programs like, like this, they should have a spreadsheet that's available to the public to see where all that money went to. Um, in all cases, that doesn't happen. So uh, Linda Kinsley says, as for Tulsa, Oklahoma, government uh, stit owns a construction company. So I think he will get it and stuff it in his pocket. I, I mean, I would hope that the, if the governor has a construction company that builds housing and this grant was available, that he wouldn't use his personal construction company. I, I would hope because that seems like a conflict of interest. And if it does look that way, hopefully the public makes enough of a stink about it that that doesn't happen. That to me is like, <laughs> not like there's any corruption in any government and anywhere in the United States or anything, you know, we could always trust our politicians to do the right thing. <laughs> you know? Said no one ever, said no one ever. <laughs> Eddie says, if you have any questions, go ahead and put them on the screen. He can go ahead and put them up for you. Is Eddie a seep? Eddie. All right. I'm going to put up a question on the screen if he can't, because I see several coming in. Here we go. Eddie wants to show something. Apparently he doesn't want to put questions on the screen. Oh, government stits welcomes largest economic development project in state history. Here we go. This was May 22nd, 2023. Uh, we took a, a office and I promised to bring Oklahoma to the world and the world to Oklahoma. And today's historic announcement is a testament to that mission. Our business-friendly environment and more, more than everything, energy approach. <laughs> NL's expansion is a huge win for Oklahoma. And I'm thrilled that their record investment in our state's economy and workforce that will have a long-lasting legacy and continued impact on Oklahomans for generations. Uh, the announcement comes from government forward thinking policies and a vision have created a business environment to encourage companies like and to invest in Oklahoma. The governor's more than everything approach is an energy commitment and workforce development played a significant role in securing NL's investment market marking history for a win for the Oklahoma. What is this about, Eddie? What do you want me to see? What do you want me to see? Is this another one of those company towns? Is that what that is? You can talk. Eddie. Uh, I don't know what Eddie's getting to. Oh, Eddie's, Eddie private messaged me. Yeah, it is a company town. That is a company town for Oklahoma. <laughs> That's what he wanted me to get to. So Enels, E-N-E-L-S is a company town, company housing. Yeah, that sounds like a great plan. <laughs> rapid uh, home rapid repair says, uh, question: Our inventory is inventory is terribly low. If prices dipped at all, do you think people would still list quickly? The problem is, and this is true of anywhere in the United States, is that people bought homes or refinanced housing when the interest rates were so incredibly low. At one time they were in the low twos. So if you have a house, let's just say it's in the low threes or low twos that you're paying a mortgage on, why would you list your home today 
when the interest rates are over 7%. Because wherever you're going, you're going to be paying a lot more than the house you live in currently. So even if you wanted to downsize, it makes absolutely no sense for you to go ahead and buy another house because the new house payment is going to be more than the house payment you just left because of the interest rates. They're saying that people are locked in to their interest rates because they're so incredibly low. The magic number to make real estate moving again, because even some areas are seeing declines in the amount of closed sales in the area, but that's because there hasn't been enough housing for sale for them to increase it anyways. They have pent up demand, but they don't have enough houses available. The, I, they, the economists, and I agree with them, the magic number for interest rates to be at is in the fives. The problem with that is, is that we, if the interest rates go into the fives again, we're going to see it's cheaper money. So you're going to see a lot more investors trying to get into the market, buying those lower end homes because they can use those for rental properties. And you're going to see an increase of home prices once again. Um, so it's like either you're going to pay the 7% now and then hope that the interest rates go down. Or you can, you know, wait it out and wait for the home price uh, interest rates to go down. But know that you're going to end up spending more for that house as well because there isn't enough inventory on the market. So it's, it's a conundrum. It is a conundrum right now. But, you know, I have to tell you, this is when the housing market always slows down. School has started. Most people who have had their house on the market that couldn't get it sold, take it off the market because they know that kids are back in school. You're going to see a lot less inventory this time of year all the way till the uh, end of the year because of the fact of, um, you know, for, first of all, interest rates are high. And secondly of all, it's like, why put your house on the market when, you know, Halloween, Christmas, Thanksgiving, you, always the inventory even becomes even less during this time of year. I just saw something. I'll, I'm going to put it up on the screen in a minute. BD1 says, um, have you discussed the thousands of rent-controlled uh, New York apartments that were found to be vacant because owners say that they cost too much to, um, to update them for current housing standards? I have done videos about this. So, you know, the other reason... There's a guy on TikTok, this is no lie, that lives in an apartment building that all the units are are vacant. There isn't anybody in there except for him and like five other people. There's like one person on every single floor. And it just so happens the people that own that are foreign investors and they can use they're using the the housing as like a, a like a stock basically. They're just holding on to it so they can sell it either at a higher price or whatever. Other times when they're uh, local investors, they keep them empty because they use them as a tax, tax de deduction. They can't like, they can't find, they say they can't find renters for these specific houses. So they keep them vacant and they use it as a tax deduction. There's all sorts of reasons why investors keep units empty. And it's also, you know, that way they can also keep the rents high for the people that are actually renting from them, you know, and it, it sets the market. So if you, if you own a bunch of apartment buildings in a specific area, let's say all the, uh, the one block is owned by ABC rental uh, company and the rent for that specific area, which is a high traffic, well-desired area is $5,000. 
and you know, you have a few people renting that are at that rate, $5,000. The people in the block behind you and behind that are like, oh, they're getting $5,000. Well, we can keep ours at like 4,700, you know? And then the people beyond that are like, well, we'll just keep ours at 4,650. And so they basically have set the market rate because they've kept those rents is so incredibly high. They dictate the price. Um, I actually found an article recently, and I'm going to be, I'm actually filming this video tomorrow that basically the, these, this two people were trying to justify that this isn't really as an issue. This isn't really a problem. And that people like myself and other people are making a big stink about nothing. And then in some areas, you know, they only own 33% of the real estate. If investors own 33% of real estate in one specific area, you don't think they're dictating prices. You're out of your mind, out of your mind. It made me so mad, so mad because they were, they were basically making the investors sound like the good guys, but then giving facts that made them look like complete hats. <laughs> I want to, I'm trying to I'm censoring myself because if anybody knows me on the outside, I have a terrible potty mouth, terrible, <laughs> terrible. I'm so good about it on the online. I, I don't know how I do that. <laughs> a four, 4.5 would get houses moving. Yeah, but it also make the home prices go up a lot, a lot. The, the problem and even the government, the, our federal government addresses the fact, Jerome Powell has said it, Miss Fudge has said it, uh, they've all said it. It's a lack of inventory. And on top of it all, is that the only homes that have been being built for the last 10 years, maybe even longer, are homes that are not considered for the first time home buyer. But the biggest block of people that are trying to buy a home right now are first time home buyers, millennials and younger. They just want to start a home. And if you like, I want you to go, if anybody's interested, just type in Google death of the starter home and you can start seeing a bunch of articles in different areas that talk about they're, they just haven't been building starter homes. You can't blame the builders though, because if you, the builders have all this development that takes a lot of their own personal money before ever the house is first even scraped and put on the ground. It takes them thousands of dollars of their own personal investment before the first house is even built. So they're going to make it the best, biggest house they can possibly put on that piece of dirt and get it sold. So that way they're making the most money in profit those smaller houses aren't going to do that for them. So that's why we haven't seen as much uh, smaller starter homes, but there is incentives for, if they created incentives for home builders to build those smaller houses and they release some of the red tape when it comes to development, we could get it done and done quicker, but that's just not on their agenda for some reason. So, so yeah, Eddie, you can go ahead and take that question off the screen. I just went on a tangent. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Eddie. That's the same question. Red tape is local. That is correct. Alma Grant says, "Question: When do you think uh, these companies that are promoting these new rentals, they say you will have a, uh, a year to buy, and then what?" So most of the new rental companies that I've seen where they're like, you rent the house, they're not rent to own. They're always like, they're just rental. They're building them to rent them out. They never have the intention for these people to ever purchase them. That's been the most recent one. They make these communities solely for renters. 
Now they do have uh, programs and, and companies that have these, you know, we'll buy it, you rent from us, and then you can purchase it later on down the road. Um, in my lifetime that I've worked in real estate, anybody that I know that has gone to or had the, one of these programs, not one, I I don't know of one that has actually ended up buying the house in the end. For some other reason, they found another house that they wanted to purchase or, you know, the interest rates were better somewhere else. So they decided to move. It never, it's rare that those, the people that rent the, it's rare that people that rent a house eventually end up purchasing it. Um, it's, it's just rare. <laughs> Christina Smaller for housing secretary. They would fire me so quick. Do you know why? Because I have a lot of opinions, a lot. <laughs> and I, I, and I have, I have, uh, I have a lot of ideas. Um, and I really empathize and sympathize for people that are looking for an affordable place to live. And I don't have a lot of, um, empathy or, um, for the private sector, because I really believe the private sector, because nobody wants, you know, the, the government to get involved, but the private sector has taken this opportunity to take advantage of younger generations with the builder rent. So they've taken public funds and they said, well, you know, they don't want government housing. So they're going to take these, they're going to take it over to the private sector. The private sector said, okay, we're going to build these build to rent homes and we're going to fill the problem up with these build to rent. And then these people will never own a house. So they would, they wouldn't like me. I have, I have, I'm not on the friends of corporations. You know? So um, question, will California SB9 be adopted nationwide? What are your thoughts? Um, I'm, I'm not a California real estate agent and I don't have a lot of um, background on SB9. I know it's something that, that is really talked about with uh, real estate agents in California. Jeb Smith would be probably one to talk about it. And another one is um, how to ADU. He talks about it a lot. So Senate Bill 9 is a product of the multi-year effort to develop solutions to address the California housing crisis. I will say this. California's had a housing crisis forever. And it doesn't seem a lot of their policies have necessarily address the problem effectively. So, um, Eddie, I cannot read that. There is no way in God's green earth with that tiny writing that with my terrible eyeballs that I would ever be able to read that. <laughs> All right. Maybe this is better. Um, provides options for homeowners to build an intergenerational wealth with SB9 provides more options for families to maintain and build intergenerational wealth, a currency we know is crucial combating inequity and social mobility. The families who own these properties could provide affordable rental opportunities for other working families who may still be struggling to find a rental home in their price range or may be looking on their own path to home ownership. Well, here's the thing, you know, uh, California is a more dense area as far as people is concerned, right? So they've run out of land space to build affordable homes. So they're turning to homeowners that have a backyard to put in an ADU or a rental unit or, or turn their house in, instead of having a single family house, turn it into a townhome. And they're giving them tax incentives and money to do this. I get why they would do that. But I like for a lot of areas outside of California, we're not dense as far as population. And we have plenty of 
availability to build homes, not just apartments, but just build smaller houses. I mean, we have them all over the place here in Baton Rouge. They could just build smaller houses. It's um, the red tape that causes the problem. Um, the amount of like, uh, how many people have to, those papers have to pass through hands in order to get a development even started. That's what our problem is. So yeah, of course, there's going to be more people that are, and I'm actually talking about this in my next video as well. Um, there's going to be more people that are looking for more creative solutions, especially since like, as your parents are getting older and things are getting more expensive, they may not have made the best retirement plans or, I mean, they just didn't budget for the fact that things had gone up as much. So a lot of families are using the backyard as a, a unit for their family members, whether they're younger kids that are just starting out or your older generations. I think it's a smart idea. I just saw um, another lady who actually took she had a one-story house and then she put a two-story above it. So she made two apartments above her house so her kids could rent that area. So they each had a large one-bedroom apartment with a kitchen, bathroom, the whole nine yards. And they were basically renting from her so they could stay there, save for up for their first house, but they had their own privacy. I, I think that more and more people are going to create those kinds of solutions for themselves because real estate has gotten so incredibly expensive. As a matter of fact, did you know in 2019, the median price for a home was less than $300,000? It was like $278,000, I think, in uh, September or yeah, September of 2019, before, before the, the pandemonium, right before the pandemonium started. Now it's over $400,000 in less than three years. That's a lot of freaking money. That's a lot. I mean, how are people adjusting to that? Most people don't even make over $100,000 a year for a family of four. If you did that with a family of four, their mortgage payment would be like 46% of their income in order to pay for it. They can't do that. For the median price home, the median income would be paying 46% of their income just for a mortgage. So what, what choice do they have? Well, the private sector has come up with it. They're going to go ahead and they're get, they built you a brand new house. You have nothing to worry about. You can just rent from them. <laughs> build your rent. So crazy. Oh, it's a re new red mug. We need Christina's on the red phone. Um, my husband insists that my uh, my my cup needs to be white whenever I um, do this. And every time I grab the red cup, he's like, no, that's my cup. <laughs> this The red cup's Eddie's cup. My The white cups are my cup <laughs> for apparently. But I grabbed it today. <laughs> I grabbed it today. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. Lama always says, it's, the cup isn't large. It's just that I'm really small. <laughs> Excuse me, I had to take a sippy sip. Scooter has a question. Says, which do you think is better? Purchase a townhome or condo for long-term rental or Airbnb? Oh, this is area specific. So like when I lived in Orlando, Florida, I would, I mean, honestly, a townhome was a 10 times better deal than a condo. I don't know if it is today, but there was no way in God's green earth that I would ever own a condo back in the day. This was in 2003, uh, would have owned a condo over a townhome. Um, as far as Airbnbs, again, that's area specific. 
you can have a, a really nice condo and make it a, a Airbnb and that work out great. You got to really check with your associations. I don't know how many people in the last year have gotten totally busted because they started renting. This is so, people are so crazy. They started renting, they, they rented out a condo. Then they, in their, they're renting it under their name and then they turned it into an Airbnb, right? But the, their lease specifically says you cannot do that, but they were getting away with it for like a year or two. So they made bank doing this. Oh, people are, you know, you can get sued for that. Don't do that. Christina says no, but you would have to talk with a real estate agent in your area so they could tell you what the best, best uh, idea is for your specific area. Cause it's going to make a difference. Makes a huge difference. Every market is completely different. So, Eduardo, can you put another question on the screen, please? When I started the stream, I said, Eddie, should I talk like this? Hi, everybody. It's so good to see you. He's like, we want people to watch, Christina. Stop it. <laughs> Nothing annoys me more than somebody talks like this. <laughs> Debbie Brady says, uh... Uh, the Fed announced a blackout last night, which means they may be changing uh, the rate this week. Let's hope it's down. Mm, that'll be interesting. If uh, And Barbara Corcoran, who is, this is what my next video is about. Barbara Corcoran, who you guys probably know her from Shark Tank. You know, she's the one of those, she's one of the sharks. She's a real estate mogul. I mean, she's been in the real estate game forever. That's how she made a lot of her millions and billions of dollars. So she even said on there that if the interest rates go to 5% with the inventory, the way that it looks, that all hell is going to break loose. <laughs> That's what she said, because there isn't enough supply. Home prices are about to, if that goes, if that happens, if interest rates go to five right now, the home prices are going to skyrocket again. And this was her quote. She said, I could easily see home prices going up another 10, 15%. I'm not saying that. That's what Barbara Corcoran is saying. So, um, you know, time will tell if what will happen if the interest rates for homes go down. So since interest rates are so low, is that the real reason realtors are having a hard time finding people to sell their homes? No, real estate, the interest rates aren't low. It's at 7%. The magic number is 5%. Um, people don't want to sell their house to get into another house at when they were going to get into a 7% interest rate. Why would they do that when they own a house at 3% interest rate? There just isn't enough houses available and they haven't been building enough in most areas. So yeah, that is, that's the, the real issue. Uh, question, what's happening to the company who sold your ADU? Ooh, this is a good question. So um, if anybody doesn't know, this little office I have was built by a company called uh, Backyard Workroom. They came to my house. They put this together. They did a fantastic job. The company, um, I did a couple of videos for them, including some on TikTok. And they grew too fast. Like they grew so fast, they kind of didn't know how to handle it. Um, and then, um, they were having a, a hard time. They were going to sell it and it looks like they sold it to another company. The, the new company apparently that purchased it no longer is doing the same thing that backyard workroom did. So they took down the website and I don't know what kind of homes they're building currently. I have, I don't know what's happened to that company. 
I, I wish I had more of an answer for you. I, I do not. I've not spoken to the owner since then or anybody on their sale team. Um, I do know that the people that make these panels say they have a um, another solution coming on online soon. Um, so the I don't know if you guys know the walls themselves are made with a um, what they call SIPS construction. It's a panelized construction. Um, uh, like a foam insula insulation, it's patented by them. And uh, they'll be having another solution, another company that'll be working with it. They they just get provided the panels to the backyard workroom. They weren't like, they weren't helping or representing them in any way. They just sold them those, those panels. So anyways, Anna says, uh, do you see lending tightening? Well, lending has been tightening since the last... Um, recession and the loopholes that people have to go through now to get a home mortgage is, is very difficult. It's not the same as it was years ago, but I will tell you this, those same weird loans that were available in 2008 are still available to this day. But in order to get into a lot of those weird, strange loans, you have to have impeccable credit in order for that to happen. So, um, I can't, I hope, I really hope they do not loosen lending practices in order to get more homes sold. I, I, I think it's a, a recipe for disaster. We already know the outcome of that. We've seen that already. So I hope that they don't go down that path again. NS says, um, question, will HUD ever consider helping one, uh, first time home buyers build or purchase multifamily duplexes to help tween families, adult children, or uh, at-home parents needing help with uh, housing? Oh, anything is possible. Anything is possible. The, the, the biggest issue is, is that if they, um, years ago when we did a first-time home buying uh, program, was after the crash and we had an excess amount of foreclosed properties that needed to have home buyers in them. So they did a first time home buyer program in order for those video, those homes to get sold. They, they just needed them off the market. There's only so much that investment uh, firms could absorb at that time. So they created this program for people to buy their first home. We don't have that issue now, but if they made an incentive program to mil make multifamily units, I could see that happening in, but I, I see that more on a state level. I don't see that as a federal thing. I don't see that as federal at all. Um, in states, I could see that being possible. But, you know, not yet anyway. I mean, <laughs> 10 years from now, we could be talking a whole different story. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> oh, Linda, you're right. Look, Eddie, make sure you put Linda's uh, comment about uh, tiny homes. All right. N has a question. Why can't builders get permits to uh, put a duplex instead of one large single family house? Two, uh, two, three to two bedrooms in, on each side duplex instead of a uh, five bedroom, three bath house. That has to do with zoning. So whenever you create a duplex, that's considered multifamily units. So that zoning for that area is residential multifamily only. You can only build in that area. If the area is zoned residential single family homes, you can't build by like by zoning. You cannot do that. 
And that's like some of the government incentives is to change some of the areas that are zoned single family uh, residential and turn them into man, uh, multifamily. That's what some of the initiatives have been for the last uh, three years from the White House. I, I have yet to have seen in my specific area that become a, a thing. We, we don't have that issue because I'm in a rural area. So Linda Kingsley said, even tiny homes are getting to be the, at the $200,000 mark, especially ones, tiny homes that are marked as ADUs, the easily $200,000. But the cost of materials is a lot higher than they were five years ago. I mean, you could, you could get a tiny home five years ago for $30,000. Matter of fact, I have one on my channel from a, a video I did four, four and a half years ago. And that, that tiny home was uh 30, 39,000. It was big too. It had a loft and the whole nine yards and a nice kitchen. And it was 30, yeah, 35, $35,000. You couldn't, you couldn't touch that today. That is double the price. It's about $70,000 now. So in four years, that small home has doubled in price. Um, and I, I can see, and that that's considered an RV park model. But if you have anything that's built to like regular home standards, you know, like traditional building codes, as far as an ADU in your backyard, it's going to be $200,000 easily easily. They have these homes. I, I showed it in a video. Lennar has these homes and they're 350 square feet. Eddie, maybe you can find that this thing. Cause it's absolutely ridiculous. It's over in San Antonio, which San Antonio has plenty of places to build. So Lennar builds these little tiny houses where, you know, the, where they're double stacked one on top, like the upstairs is the bedroom and the downstairs is the kitchen area. 300, maybe they're a little less than 600 square feet. I, I swear they were 350, but they wanted a hundred in like $67,000 or something. And they had just brought them down because they were like $183,000. I'm like, what are you, what are you crazy? <laughs> like, and they were like little postage stamp lots, like at the most, at the most, those should have been like, I don't know, like they should have been like a hundred thousand dollars. That was ridiculous. Mike Denver says, should I pay off my student loans 40 K before buying a home? Denver, uh, Mike, I, this is what I want you to do. I, I wish I could give you a blanket statement, but you need to talk to either a financial advisor or a lender and don't just talk to one lender, by the way, and they will give you the best route for purchasing a home. Um, not only that, there are, there's new programs out too to pay off your student loan debt. So you may want to look into those. So you may not have to, you may not have to pay off your $48,000. There might be a program out there that pay it off for you, which would be fantastic. But I would talk to a couple lenders first and ask them what your best plan of action is. Um, is it to pay it all off at once? Is it to just pay off a good chunk of it? Is it to just continue making your payments like you always have? You know, they'll tell you, they'll be able to tell you. Eddie's showing me something. Elm Trails, this is it. <laughs> this is it. These are the these are the houses in San Antonio. Look how small they are, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, right? The low rates, great monthly savings. Oh, that's not the inside of these. That's for sure. They're showing you a different uh 
This is their home. They're right for you. So what are they bringing down? Oh, now it's 159. They keep bringing them down. Yeah, they keep bringing them down because they were a lot more than that. That's it right there. The coolie. Oh, look, now they brought it down to 130. The what the coolie is 130. It's 350 square feet. Still at 130. That is like crazy. And then that one, what is that? 182? Or how much is I can't see it, babe. A oh, 162.99. 162.99 for that. Does that seem reasonable? For 661 square feet for one, it's a one bedroom, two bath, one bedroom, two bath, 661 square feet. Does that seem like a reasonable price? I, I have to know. I have to know. Let me know in the comment section. Does that seem like a, a fair price for that specific home? Eddie, scroll up to the house again. <laughs> like I want people to really take a look at this. <laughs> There on that one it wouldn't be a lot rent though, because they would own they own the house. There would be no lot rent on that. Eddie, can you pull that one back up, please? Pretty please. Pretty fucking please. Roger Rabbit, please. Do you guys remember that? Man, I'm old. Old. But everybody's saying no, no. It, it's not reasonable, especially if there's a lot rent to pay. There wouldn't be a lot rent because these are attached to the property. You can't move these. This is this is built. This is solid construction. You would be owning the house and the land underneath it. You would have a full title on that postage stamp lot, that whole thing. Yeah, in Portland all day long. Yeah, turnkey land owned. Yeah, in Portland. See, that would make sense. But this is in San Antonio, Texas. You can actually buy a home, an older home, four bedroom, two bath for that amount of money. And it's like 1,800 square feet. Now, would you have to put a little elbow grease in it? Absolutely. But I mean, what's the trade-off? I would, to me, I would rather have a four-bedroom, two-bath house that I need to fix up than buy a brand new house that's only one-bedroom, two-bath for the same amount of money. See, Jay says it's a fair price. I could live in 661 square feet. But I mean, you got to remember, right? The median income home, not even a few years ago was like 286. So $100,000 more than this house here. So <laughs> yeah, one bedroom, two bath. Ugh, yep. That's not a kitchen. <laughs> I wonder how much the HOA would be. Yeah. You'd have to look at their covenants. Yeah. I could live in 661 square feet. Our first apartment was 661. I loved it. Disney rides have more square footage yet. People pay to get in. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> CJ says it's a fair price. Yeah, somebody says, I like elbow grease. Yeah. Somebody said, why would you have two bathrooms with one bedroom? Because you need a bathroom downstairs for your guests and then you need a bathroom upstairs for yourself. <laughs> yeah. That, that's why. And that this is one I want to put up here, right? This makes total sense. That's the stop right there. Bathroom upstairs, handicapped, accessible. So the one on the left, the bathroom is downstairs. The bathroom is downstairs. The one on the right um, is got a bathroom upstairs and downstairs. Um, so, and you, you, you could flip the bedrooms too. Now the closets are upstairs for the room that they call the loft. Uh, but you can, you can choose which side you want, if you want to put, cause they have a, uh, an office loft area. So you can, I don't believe this is uh, elderly home friendly. Like if you have an elderly parent, 
that is having failing health that would need like railings and, you know, easily accessible for wheelchairs. These homes are not it. Absolutely not. This is just for the young person getting into their very first house. Um, yeah. I can live in that space, but a single uh, level. The old knees don't do the same, uh, do stairs very well. And I could do, I could do that as well. If it was a single level, I, I would do that all day. It wouldn't bother me a bit, but going up and down stairs and the one on the left, it's like a, it's like a ladder. It's a, it's not like stair stairs or like a ladder stairs. <laughs> yeah, it could be cute. I mean, if, if I was like single and in my, you know, early twenties, you know, I, I could easily do this. You know, I could even do this for a period of time before I, you know, got my big girl money and then, you know, sell it in the future or turn it into an Airbnb or turn it into a rental. I mean, I could do that. Yeah. No room for guests. Absolutely not. Absolutely. Not. <laughs> Put out a tent for <laughs> somebody said. Put out a tent for your visitors. <laughs> you just put them in the backyard in the tent. I, I'm sure your mother-in-law would love that. <laughs> hey, honey, I want to bunk with me tonight. Yeah, right. <laughs> you could add a Florida room. Yeah, you definitely could do that. I wonder how they didn't really. I don't know what the lot sizes are on these, but. The size, uh, the size is like a tree house. Yeah. Yep. If it was two bedroom, I could do it. Well, like one of the rooms is kind of like an office area, but you got to remember this is small. This is small, 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 small. I mean, they took, they took the idea of a tiny home and put it into a house on a slab. I just think their price point is off for 331 square feet or 350 square feet for one bedroom, one bath. I don't know if 135, it, it was 165. They brought it down a lot because it hit the internet on how ridiculously it was priced and they've come down on their price quite a bit. I think when I did a video on, I think it was in the 170s. I could be wrong. Uh, Thomas says, don't buy a one bedroom house. Yeah, I mean, you, all right, Thomas, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna challenge you this a uh, little bit. So my husband and I have a one bedroom house that we rent out. We never have to advertise it. Never, ever. All we have to do is stick out a sign and says available, uh, one bedroom home available. And it rents instantaneously because there's people that are in divorce situations. There's single parent situations. I mean, there's all, uh, there's people that work at the uh, plant that are just going to be living here for like six to eight months. One bedroom detached homes rent like that. I mean, instantaneously. And if I was a single person on my own and I, where I could just buy a little one bedroom house, I would do that. So I wouldn't have to deal with uh, renters above me and beside me and like they're playing their music all different hours and stuff like that. Yeah. You, you say that, you know, like people won't want that. You'd be shocked how many people really do. Pretend you're in college for the rest of your life. I never do feel like I ever grew up. I'm like, I always tell Eddie all the time. I'm like, when, when, do, when do we get our grown up pants? Like, I don't know. I still wear play clothes. Look, I'm still in my overalls. I've never grown up. 
I can't help myself. <laughs> I can't help myself. If there's any other questions, please put them up on the screen so Eddie can go ahead and put them up there and I can answer your question. Brenda Abear has a co uh, comment. I hope I said your last name right because here in Louisiana, that's how we would say it. Question, would you the purchase of two condos in the same uh, building units be smart for my highly functional autistic daughter and myself. She could uh, sell my, she could sell my unit when I pass away. Well, if that's, I mean, that that's what would work. Yeah. I mean, I, I have like, I've gotten more creative because, you know, I love my kids being around me and the cost of living has gotten up exponentially. So I have like an, a plan to have my kids on the same property in their own homes, you know, like I don't want, they don't have to be in my house, you know, they can have their own thing, but that way it would be easier for them to get a hold of me when they needed something, you know, like that when they are having trouble or whatever, they got me right there, but I'd, I'd leave them alone. And I think that's a great idea. If you can have them really close to you, that'd be awesome. Johnny. Oh, with a hundred dollars. <laughs> Look at Eddie with the a sound effect. <laughs> Thank you so much for helping sponsor the show with your $100 Super Chats on Sunday. I appreciate you. Whenever you come in and pop in, you never have a question. You never say anything. You just you just shower the channel with a nice sponsorship there. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Yep. This is an interesting comment. So the tiny homes in San Antonio are a sneak peek of our dystopian future. Those houses coordinate nicely with our subsidized of uh, Insects that are living on, oh gosh, W-E, uh, the world, world uh, you know what I'm talking about, the World Economic Federation or whatever, uh, Texas style. It's a heaping pile of poop. You know, that it's the whole idea of, oh, nothing, be happy. But I was surprised it's happening in Texas. Of all places, of all places, Texas. I mean, they got land for everything. I'm just, that's shocking to me that they would do this. Yep. Those tiny homes in San Antonio are right under the power lines too. Getting microwaved in your house. Our first house, I didn't even know it was an issue, right? Our first house was near massive power lines. I I, I didn't, like I was buying my first house. I didn't know that was a, a problem. <laughs> I mean, we, were, we weren't that close to them, but they were close enough. <laughs> yep, close enough. <clears throat> if you guys are looking for um, a real estate agent in San Antonio or anywhere in the United States, you can, um, you can go to my website and you know, go to christinasmallhorn.com and fill out one of the um, referral forms and I'll get a, I'll help you out, find you a real estate agent. I actually know several in San Antonio, a couple in Austin, a couple in, uh, I know several throughout Texas. All my exes live in Texas and there, look, you can see a picture of me and my dirty feet. That's not my fault, by the way. I do clean my feet. <laughs> it was the office there. <laughs> so yeah, just go to my website and um, just hit the pink button. Somebody will help them. Yep. Oh, so oh, there's a question that popped up on the screen. It says, since, uh, since IoT is HUD, could the grant help first-time homebuyers with foreclosed homes and repair? Um, that would be a different program. So this, is, this isn't to help people purchase a house. It's for existing homes in the area to revitalize the area. Um, they're not going to help a first time home buyer that can afford a house, fix it up for them to live in. They would take homes that are already foreclosed on, fix them up and then put them up for sale. That would be 
something they would do. They're not going to give a first time home buyer money. Maybe they would offer them a specific grant to do that. Um, the, the 50 billion, the 50 million for each specific area is going to be used in different ways in that area. There's no blanket way uh, that it's going to be used. Mr. Thomas says, what is an ADU? Sorry, I've never heard of this before. It's an auxiliary dwelling unit. It's like a like a, a home behind your house, a home behind a home within a home. They're not attached to the house, but they're like a smaller house behind your house. They're very common and very popular in states like California. They're becoming more popular in um, Texas, Seattle, Oregon, areas that are highly dense in population that has a problem finding housing units. They've uh, uh, reduced the um, restrictions and to allow for smaller homes to be built in the backyard. Now, I will say that in California, to build an ADU is so expensive because of the red tape, the permissions, all these things you have to do in order to get your ADU up to the code that is required for California. That's why they're so expensive there. Um, they're way over 200,000 for an ADU in California. So Francis, would you recommend a bridge loan versus a contingency contract for building a new home with a builder? Fran, that is a lender question. I am not a lender. I am a real estate agent, but you need to find out uh, I will tell you this. I've had clients do these bridge loans and there's a risk involved. You have to make sure that you're going to be able to sell your house. And if you have, are you, if you're in an area that the housing market is slowing down or stalling, I, you know, just, just keep that in mind. If you're planning on bridging the equity from one uh, house into the next house, just, you really want to discuss your options with your lender before you decide to do something like that. Yeah, I own a tiny house and I paid $34,000 for it. I, but I want to know, Alma, when did you pay $34,000 for it? It hasn't been in the last year or two, I bet. <laughs> uh, Edward has a question, says, how much uh, more is it for indoor plumbing? That's that's area specific and what your indoor plumbing, like how much you're using in plumbing. I do know a really good uh, channel that talks about plumbing, which is Roger Wakefield. He's the expert plumber. And he talks all things plumbing. So anything related to plumbing, go to Roger Wakefield. <laughs> um, he's right here on YouTube, Roger Wakefield, expert plumber. Got lots and lots and lots of videos about plumbing. I'll tell you what else is great about him. He talks about the trades and how much money you can make uh, owning and being a part of the trades. He's a good guy. Joni Johnson says, uh, <laughs> Did you remember to hit the like button for Christina? Thank you, Joni. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. All right, everybody. We're rounding this off. Sandra's going to finish with the last question. Uh, have a home in a really nice neighborhood that should have sold for $800,000 in perfect shape. I have lowered it to $694,000 and still no offers. Any suggestions? Sandra. Uh, I don't know where your house is and, um, who like, did the, did the agent tell you it should sell for $800,000 or was that what your neighbors were saying? So I always price the house according to the comps, not what like the market. And I will also tell you $800,000 for most people is a lot of money. The only houses that I know that are moving and moving really fast are those houses that are 500,000 and less. So 
but that is my specific area. Most people that are in the higher price point or is having a harder time selling their houses than the ones that are in the, if you have a house that's under four or uh, under 500 or under 400, they're selling like hotcakes, but anything above that is always going to have a, a harder time selling. Yep. Uh, G Jack says, uh, I love this gal. <laughs> have I lived near her? I mean, <laughs> I'd be baking her sweet goods for her. <laughs> I'm actually a pretty good cook to tell you the truth. Yep. Yep. All right, everybody. Next week, I have no idea what we're going to talk about, but you can let me know in the comments section below what you would like to discuss and we can go over it together. If you find a really cool article you want to share with me, you can always email it to me at info at christinasmallhorn.com. If you happen to be a real estate agent and you want a YouTube channel just like mine, I actually have a video course that will help you get your channel launched off and have a fantastic group of, of, of clients and subscribers that are engaged like my lovely audience here in the comments section here. I just love my people. I have good people and I want that for you too. So just go to realestatevideogeeks.com, sign up for our course. It's seven weeks of money well spent right there. And if you want to join us and listen to this as a podcast, you can go find me anywhere where you listen to podcasts. Go to Real Estate for Everyone with Christina Smallhorn, and you can listen to this as a replay or any of the past live streams we've done. I hope you guys have a fantastic week. It was a pleasure to spend the last hour with you. I'm always very grateful to every single one of you that do spend your time with me because I know how incredibly precious your time is. Thank you, everyone. So long. Farewell. Avita Zane. Goodbye. Eddie wants me to say thank you to the moderators. Oh, he's they do too, man. Eddie's got some Everybody jam out. It's like rainy.